Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Welcome, Colma Hay, to the Focus on Why podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited. So Carl is an emotional intelligence and leadership specialist, and he's the founder of Ignite Your Inner Potential. Now that sounds incredibly exciting. Tell me more about what all of that means. Well, it is, uh, for me, <laughs> certainly it's very, very exciting. Um, I'm loving doing exactly what i am always wanted to do in a, in a sense. Uh, I've always wanted to touch the world in a positive way, to help people to think in a different way and to find a whole new path and new potential that they have within them. So, you know, uh, when I left uh, my previous life uh, some five years ago, I struggled for the first couple of years actually nailing exactly who I was, what I wanted to achieve. I sort of had a, a general picture, but now I work with all sorts of organizations, police forces, uh, senior leaders in all sorts of organizations from universities through to uh, public sector. I help to create emotionally intelligent leaders, uh, define new cultures, people-centered cultures uh, in organizations. I have a phenomenal annual event, which I absolutely love. It grows every single year. It's one of the fastest growing personal development events in the U country called Ignite Unit Potential. In the last three years, we've gone from 80 people attending to 350 people attending. And uh, in January 2021, we're hoping to get 450 people attending. And uh, the greatest pleasure of that is not only to see the changes that people go through, but also to know that the only other speakers on the stage are speakers that I've trained to speak. And that always fills me with pride because they always knock people away. Uh, and uh, so that's pretty much what I do. And I just love doing every single thing that I do. And it just leads on to more and more opportunities. So that sounds amazing, but I'm a little bit confused. You said you left your former life. Now, how does one do that? <laughs> uh, you make you do that by making decisions throughout your entire life and constantly being self-reflective. So, you know, I had 32 years in the police service. Uh, I joined the police service uh, as a young 16-year-old boy, actually, in January 1983, and uh, by May 1985, I was a police constable. And actually, I was reminded of that only this morning because uh, I went to my first police station ever was in a place called Swaddlingcote, which is on the southern tip of Derbyshire. It was a mining town, quite a large mining town that had just come out of the miners' strike. You'll remember the miners' strike of 1984, horrendous times across the country. Uh, so this town of just refining itself and uh, they'd never seen an Asian before and I was the first Asian police officer to be posted there and I remember being forced to stand outside the police station by the inspector because I did not want to be seen to be a puppet uh, and I was a stroppy 18 year old <laughs> as most 18 year olds are and I remember I was frowning on this photograph outside the police station but I was so surprised when I was tagged into a post only this morning where the local newspaper of, uh, of that area had uh, done a, a piece around remembering people and they were remembering me. 
and it said, you know, here's a photograph of PC Mahay outside Swaddling Coke Police Station in 1985. I remember it like it was yesterday. Wow. And to see that photograph, but then much more important than that was to read the comments of the people uh, who had said things like, I remember this guy, he was great, one of the best cops that we ever had. Uh, and there were so many beautiful comments on that. It sort of just made my heart want to burst a bit because it was at that point in time that I actually made a decision which has carried me on throughout my entire life that I knew then I was a role model. I was a role model, not just as a police officer, but a role model as an Asian. Many of these people had never seen an Asian before. And I knew that they would uh, base their perceptions of other Asians and the Asian community based on how I was. So I wanted to be the very best that I was. Uh, so I made a decision on uh, having a personality or divining a personality that was all about communicating and connecting with other people, building relationships. And that is something that has served me well throughout my entire life. And actually it is what drives me today. You know, everything I teach around emotional intelligence fundamentally is all about how to build effective relationships. And so I love building relationships. I'm an introvert by nature it means that I'm, I'm not the person that would run into a networking room and, you know, go and speak to every single person in the room. It's just not me. But when I do connect with someone, I always connect at a much deeper level. Uh, and that's what I love. So it's interesting. I mean, you're an 18-year-old Asian policeman and you've got quite a mature outlook for an 18-year-old to understand that, that you've got this role model re responsibility. So how did that manifest? Yeah, I mean, that's the part I don't really understand. And, uh, you know, my, my parents, I was one of seven, I was a middle child of seven. So maybe that's got something to do with it. I don't know. Because as the middle child, we all know the middle child uh, has the worst. Uh, because, you know, we have the hand-me-downs from, and for me, it was three other siblings above me. We have the hand-me-downs from them. But by the time I've used those hand-me-downs, those underneath me, they all get new stuff, right? <laughs> so I knew as a middle child, I, I, had, to, I had to connect. And uh, in order to get, the, uh, get along with all my other siblings, uh, I needed to build good relationships with them. And I tended to have done that in my family for a long, long time. Um, but um, I've always been one of these individuals that um, I don't follow sheep, you know, so if everyone else is turning right, I've always said it's good to turn left because you just never know uh, what anyone else is not seeing. You don't know what opportunities exist around that corner. I love people. I've always loved people. And um, I have always be, had this sense of not wanting to bring dishonor to anyone, whether it's my Asian community, whether it's my family, whether it's me, whether it's my friends. Uh, so this sense of honor is probably what drove me to be a policeman in the first place. You know, from the age of 10, uh, I saw the police service as being one of the most honorable professions in, in, in the world, you know, as far as I was concerned. One of my childhood heroes was Dixon of Doc Green. And I remember, you know, I used to watch the black and white movies whenever they came, came on. And if you look at what Dixon of Doc Green, and for those of you who don't know who he was, it was a, it was a program back in the 50s and 60s about a, a community police officer who was phenomenal in the community, knew everybody, sorted people's uh, problems out, never lost his temper, uh, and he was a stalwart professional throughout uh, and cared, genuinely cared about people. 
So when you have somebody like him as your childhood hero, it naturally defines you to be the person that you are when you become that police officer and wear that same uniform. So that whole concept of being a role model came from all of these sort of various sort of fragments uh, of um, experiences in my life. What kept you in the police force for such a long time, for 32 years? That's a good question. Do you know what? I've never been asked that question. I've been asked so many questions in the past, but not that one, because there were so many times when I could have left the police service. There were so many times when I could have just given up and gone home because uh, you can just imagine the kind of uh, area or uh, era that I, I joined the police service in and the kind of people and the ignorance that I came across. Uh, and I've learned one other thing around this. You know, when people treat you badly, more often than not, it's not because they don't like you. It's, it's more likely that it's come from a place of fear. When people fear something that they don't know, more often than not, they will respond with anger, hatred, and they'll do bad things. And if you look at any, any place in society or in history where things have been done badly to, towards other people, it has all been from a, from a, a place of fear, uh, an initial place of fear. And, um, you know, if you look at uh, Nazi Germany, they created fear around Jews that if you continue to allow the Jews to exist, this will happen. So fear was spread across society. And as a consequence of that, some really, really bad things were done against the Jewish society. And it was similar with me. I mean, I came across a lot of ignorance and I came across a lot of people who did bad things, said bad things to me. I've even been threatened with violence from one of my own colleagues. Uh, I've had things left in my, my locker and uh, I saw a lot of bad stuff whenever I was arresting another person uh, out on the streets for quite legitimately. Uh, I might have had a complaint against me because I just happened to be uh, brown or I'd have more swear words used against me. Um, and I learned one thing from all of this, that when it comes to challenges, two or three different kinds of people show up. You have the kind of people who will say, I give up and go home. And for me, uh, their passion is not strong enough for what they are doing at that moment in time. Um, my passion was so strong. My passion had been there from the age of 10. So I certainly wasn't going to give up. You then have those type of people who kick back, fight back uh, uh, aggressively. And what you end up finding with that is that nobody wins in that situation the individual doesn't win and whoever they're fighting doesn't win because you're always tarnished with some dent in your reputation or to your mental state. And then the third kind of person is, is the person that says, no, I'm going to stick this out because what I said to myself was I didn't join the organization for this one, these one or two people. I joined the organization for what the organization is, and that's much more important to me. So I'm not going to allow one or two individuals to detract me from my path. And actually, um, what I want to do is get to a point in this organization where I can change it, where I can have an influence on it. I want to get to a point in this organization where I can change this culture, make it much more enlightened and much more inviting to all sorts of diversity within society. And that's what I did. I steadily rose through the ranks. I stayed as a PC for uh, nine years, 10 years, actually. And then for the next 20 years, I just rose up through the ranks. And I'm so blessed to have uh, reached the position of temporary chief superintendent uh, just before I retired. I've uh, been in charge of thousands of people in my time. 
um, managed multi-million pound budgets, have been a goal commander for critical major incidents and um, have enjoyed every single moment. I still get some of my old staff reaching out. Only yesterday I had a, a text from one of my old uh, young officers who said, guess what? I am now going to be an inspector. I'm so happy for her that she's going to be an inspector. But, you know, for her to reach out and just message me out of the blue, and I've had many messages like that, it demonstrates and it reassures me that I must have done something right as a leader. So what I then wanted to do was um, I knew that the police service was never going to be my life until the day that I die. It wasn't going to be that because there's always something going to be coming on after the police service. And as I matured, as I grew, I knew that uh, my real passion was in leadership. My real passion was in how do we influence people, societies, communities? How do we uh, coalesce people to work towards a common good? And when I get a message like that from somebody uh, that reminds me of the kind of leader that I was, I'm just thinking to myself, this is what I'm doing now. I'm trying to create those kind of leaders who understand the value in lifting others, others up as you climb yourselves. So the mark of an outstanding leader for me is not how good a leader you are, but how many leaders you create. And I like to think that I'm creating leaders or have created leaders throughout the time and still I'm doing that now. And how are you doing that? What is it you're, you're looking to um, achieve and who are you looking to empower? Well, leadership you know, if you were to Google the word leadership, you get something like 4.1 billion results back on, on, on Google, which demonstrates to me that lots of people in the world are interested in the concept of leadership. But then if you look at the dictionary definition of leadership, it says something really strange and disappointing, like it's uh, where you are leading people or organizations. And I just think that if you have to use the word leading to describe the concept of leadership, it means that even the dictionary doesn't understand it. So I wanted to define what leadership really was. Leadership for me is when you influence people or you influence circumstances. And if we use my definition, then we pretty much understand that all of us are leaders at some points in our lives. So taking that on board, what I do now is I work with organizations, absolutely. You know, I would say 70, 80% of my work is with a whole variety of organizations where I'm training their leaders to become much more emotionally intelligent, uh, to start digging into what I call the fourth quadrant thinking, to link that fourth quadrant thinking to external people. Uh, and I'll explain the fourth quadrant in a short while. Um, so that's what I do now. But I also teach the same stuff or the same concept of fourth quadrant and the concept of leadership to anybody else. So, you know, I teach public speaking, for example, in order for people to be really good at public speaking, they need to have a level of emotional intelligence for me. I was just coaching one of my graduates from my public speaking course, who's now uh, uh, going to a Toastmasters grand uh, competition, international competition, and he's now been shortlisted as the uh, finalists. And I was uh, just reviewing one of his talks and I've just said to him, I said, you know, you have become so emotionally attuned to the audience that you resonate powerfully even with me now. And that's emotional intelligence for me. So when I talk about fourth quadrant, what am I talking about? It's as simple as this. You know, we have four quadrants and the first quadrant is uh, all the stuff that we know about ourselves that we don't tell other people. We all have that. We have our little secrets that we don't want to share and that's fine. 
Then we have the second quadrant. The second quadrant is all the stuff that everybody knows about you and you know about yourself. And that's fine. That's your open book. Then you have your third quadrant. Your third quadrant is all the stuff that we don't see in ourselves, but others see in us. Now that can be twofold. That can be all the potential that other people see in you, all the great things that other people see in you, but you doubt yourself so much. And I have that, you have that, we all have that. Every time, I'm such a creative person, I'm creating all the time. But every time I create, I start doubting as well. So I'll ask my wife, oh my goodness, can I really do this? And she'll say, well, actually you did this uh, a couple of years ago. I've seen you do this a thousand times over. Why can't you do it? You know, you have this skill and this skill. And she just reminds me. So this is why feedback is really, really important. But in your third quadrant, there's other stuff that you don't know about yourself that other people see. And these can be your habits, your bad habits. So I remember back in the day, you know, I used to, I've always loved public speaking. I remember I used to think I was a, a you know, hot shot when it came to public speaking. I really wasn't. I really wasn't. But I used to have this habit whenever I spoke of touching my nose. And I used to think that, you know, it made me look clever or wise or something like that. And I remember I went to a conference and I was impromptu asked to speak. And I spoke for five minutes and it seemed to go really well. And when I sat down, my best mate nudged me and he said, why are you always looking like you're picking your nose? (laughs) There's third quadrant right there. So I thought I wasn't picking my nose. He said, no, that's exactly what it looks like. He says, the way you're touching your nose, it looks like you're picking your nose in front of a thousand people. That is not good. So now I'm conscious of that. And I, I, I learned that from that behavior to change. So that's the third quadrant. But it gets really, really exciting when you get into your fourth quadrant. The fourth quadrant is that space within yourself that you don't know and other people don't know. So this is all the stuff that you've never tested within yourself, all the stuff that you've never, ever, you know, you may have had a dream, but you've never pursued it. You've never delved down deep enough. Uh, It's almost like if you can imagine there's a room inside your brain that you know is there, you know, the door is there, but you have never opened that door. And fourth quadrant thinking is about the hidden potential. And I encourage everybody to open that door, open that door and expect this dusty room. But when you start dusting and clearing this room, you'll find that there are shiny objects all over this room. And this room will soon become your favorite room. It certainly is for me. Some people call that living outside your comfort zone. Some people call that growth mindset. I don't really mind what you want to call it, but you need to explore that room. (laughs) You know, we all have this room within us. And I just wish that uh, everybody would explore this. And maybe we wouldn't live in a fear mindset. You know, so many people... Going through lockdown, people were in a fear mindset. Uh, something changes at work, you get into a fear mindset. Your relationship breaks breaks down, you, ha- you get a fear mindset. So, so many people delve into the fear mindset, which is so abundant and it's so easy to access. But the growth mindset, the fourth quadrant, is harder to access and harder to practice, but pays dividends far longer in the in in the in the future. So, that's fourth quadrant thinking for me. Oh, I can see you're really passionate about this. And and the reason probably is that you see the transformations and you see the visible change in people who come to you for training and they, you, you, they come in and they're, they're probably in, understand their first and second, obviously, and then don't really see their third and fourth quadrant at all, or even know that it, it is existing. So Absolutely. tell me about some of the transformations that you've, you've had that really stick in mind. Well, you know, 
as with emotional intelligence, everything starts with yourself. And, uh, you know, it all started with me. And this is what made me learn that there was the third quadrant and the ability to tap into the fourth quadrant. You know, when I was a senior detective, a detective chief inspector, one of the things that uh, senior detectives back then were really good at was drinking. <laughs> we used to have big cases, big complex cases, but then we'd all meet up every single night, we'd have a drink. And I never wanted to admit to myself that I had a drinking problem as such, but the fact of the matter was I was drinking every single day. I was having a few pints uh, before I went home. I would then come home. I, would, I was a member of the Sunday Times Wine Club, so I'd have 12 bottle, what, bottles of wine delivered to my doorstep every month. I was the only person that drank that. More often than not, I'd get through a whole bottle of wine, no problem. I was a big whiskey connoisseur, so inevitably I'd be drinking whiskey as well. I was smoking 25 cigarettes a day. I started smoking when I was 16 years old just to fit in. And uh, I was one of the biggest meat eaters I knew. You know, I was the guy that if I ever went to a steak restaurant, I'd have to have uh, the biggest steak on the menu. And on some occasions, I had the biggest steak. And knowing that it was making me unwell, I wouldn't stop. I'd still eat it. And on some occasions, I actually vomited before I got home. You know, so that's who I was. I was a real binger in so many ways and habitually so. And, uh, you know, back in sort of April 2004, I had this realization that the life I was living, if I truly wanted to grow, if I truly wanted to be a different person, I needed to change my habits. And other people were seeing this in me. Other people were saying this to me. And that was my third quadrant. And my fourth quadrant was really, can I do this? Can I tap into this? Have I got this reserve of energy to do this? You see, I try to pack up smoking so many times and I might last three, four, five, six weeks. But guess what? Every time I went to celebrate that I'd lasted that long, I'd celebrate by having another cigarette. And so the cycle restarted. And when I got into my fourth quadrant, uh, I decided that uh, I had sufficient wherewithal and power within me, that these habits were not physical habits. In fact, there are no such things as physical habits. Every habit that we have is a mindset habit. It's all about choice. We're making choices all our times. Yes, the body starts uh, you know, shaking and things like that because it's used to having these toxins, but it's never the body that makes a choice to have that next cigarette have that next injection, have that next drink. It's always the mind that makes that choice. So when I understood this, I thought, okay, so I need to reshape my mind. So I did some work on myself, reshape my mind, and overnight, stopped smoking, drinking, eating meat, fish, eggs. Uh, that was 16, 17 years ago now that I stopped all of that. And, um, you know, some 10 years later, uh, I think it's about six or seven years ago, I tested this on myself again. I thought, can I do this? Can I still do this? I've done some research around tea and coffee. Now, I have to put a caveat in. This is just my view. It's not about saying to other people, you need to do this. But I did some research and I realized that tea and coffee wasn't good for me or, you know, fruit juices weren't good for me, um, that, um, that I needed to change all of that. So overnight, I stopped drinking tea, coffee, fruit juices, fizzy drinks. I haven't touched a fizzy drink or a fruit juice or a cup of tea or a coffee for six, six years, something like that, six or seven years. And then four years ago, I did exactly the same with milk. I realized that we human beings are the only people, are the only animals on the planet that drink another animal's milk. That cannot be right. And so I just stopped drinking milk overnight and I have not touched milk ever since. So if I have that strength within me to be able to do all these, these kind of things and shift my mindset, my, my, my psyche in such a powerful way, 
then why can't other people? So then I wrote a book. I wrote my book called Smash the Habit based on my own experiences, how I did what I did. And uh, sort of uh, when I see other people having been on the courses that I run, uh, I am always blown away by how much they change when they really implement that fourth quadrant thinking. When they really implement it, uh, I always say that if you think the same thing and you'll always do the same thing. If you do the same thing, you'll always get the same thing. Now, in order for you to break that cycle, you have to either think a different thing and therefore you do a different thing and therefore you get a different thing or you, you can carry on thinking the same thing but force yourself to do a different thing and then you'll get a different uh, outcome as well. So it's always in the action. So this way action is so important for me. Your action uh, is, is what's going to drive the outcomes in your life. So if you're not happy with the outcomes that you're getting in your life, start reshaping the action. Start doing things differently. And I promise you, by the law of physics, every action and op- every action has an equal and opposite reaction. You'll get a different reaction. So with, with what you're saying, I'm seeing a lot of passion coming through. I'm seeing a lot of alignment with your values that you have been consistent throughout your life. And you were able to take that into your career for 32 years and now into your, the, your new venture, your business that you've been working on since then. How easy was it for you to to follow and pursue a passion, uh, knowing that this is what you were meant to be doing? I always had that sense, Faye, of I'm doing the right thing. You know, when I was a cop, I knew that that's that was my calling. When I stopped being a cop, I knew that was my calling. And when I started doing what I'm doing now, I still feel that I'm following a calling as such. Um, however, the transition wasn't wasn't that easy because if you can imagine for 32 years in thinking about my entire adult life was spent in an institution that is like a bubble. It is devoid from the rest of the world. Cops think in a certain way. We are exposed to certain things. We have a camaraderie that exists only within the world of cops. We have little interaction with the outside world. In fact, we try and shield ourselves from the outside world to some extent. That's the harsh reality of being a police officer. The stuff that we see uh, etches on our hearts and on our brains. You know, the stuff that I have seen, the pain, the misery, the hurt, the anger that I've seen. You you can't release that kind of stuff. It's not something that can come in from one ear and goes out of the other ear. It gets etched onto your very soul sometimes. Uh, So for me to come out of that arena and go into this, Firstly, being a businessman, because I'd never been a businessman in my entire life. Secondly, walking, you know, opening that door that, that ha- on that force field that took me out into this whole new world uh, was not so much scary, but it, it was um, awakening. It was like an awakening as such. And I, I think I spent the first year or so just sort of blinking in this bright light of the outside world. Um, I went on the search for people who were singing a, sim- a similar hymn to me, you know, had a similar message to me. And I got excited. I went to all of these, uh, you know, uh, personal development events. I went to Tony Robbins and, you know, danced uh, around like everybody else. And then I got asked to, you know, crew at Tony Robbins uh, annual event. I did that for two years. I got into a community there. But then I realized a lot of the people that I was coming into contact with who wanted to collaborate with me, didn't share my values. They, sh- they, they were like-minded, but they weren't like-valued. I tried to collaborate with a lot of people. 
they were saying all the right things, but then I, I realized they were, they were lacking in depth when it came to the doing. I'm an action taker. When it came to the doing, they weren't doing. They, in fact, they were broken people. And that made me sit up and wonder, these kind of events, they are, they are, they are powerful for the people who are willing to put in the action. But those people who just go every single year for that injection of positivity is not healthy. Isn't, it, they're broken people. They need fixing from the inside out. So I started trying to uh, you know, uh, collaborate with all these kind of people. And for two years, nothing moved for me. Yeah, yes, I, on, on my own, I was getting a lot of clients, but I wasn't feeling fulfilled. The business wasn't going in the direction that I wanted to do. All the great, exciting things that I had planned, they weren't coming to fruition. So out of frustration, I actually closed the business down. And uh, I remember saying to my wife, this is not, this is not what I intended. You know, I, I, I expected to be making a big difference in society. This is not big difference. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of firefighting a lot of things. And I don't, I don't want to be doing that, you know. So it was my wife, you know, again, third quadrant thinking. Uh, it was my wife when I could see nothing but doom and gloom and failure. Uh, it was my wife that actually said to me, is that it? Is that your passion? All this passion that I've been hearing about for so long, is that it? Is that the depth of it all? Because I, when I talk to you, I hear something else. When I talk to you, I hear a fire inside your belly. I hear a passion that exudes from you. Wherever you walk, however you talk, it comes out. And I think that you're destined for greater things than this. These are just lessons. These are, these are to teach us what we shouldn't be doing. So I restarted the company some uh, couple of weeks later. I defined some uh, goals for myself and some rules for myself. I said that uh, I wouldn't be collaborating with anyone. And I certainly would uh, always uh, collaborate with people, only those people who had like mind, uh, like valued, who were like valued to me, not like minded necessarily. And they needed to pass that qualifying test for me. And as a consequence of that, you know, I set up Ignite Your Potential, my annual event. And as I say, it went from 80 through to 350 people now in three years. It's grown massively. Uh, I have a public speaking event uh, course that I run. That's fully booked every single year. We run two, uh, three of those a year. Uh, those public speakers have gone on to speak on international stages. Uh, I, I keep them very small. When it came to public speaking, I have been on public speaking courses myself where I've been one of 300 or even a thousand, uh, one and a half thousand people in the room and, and felt unvalued. And, and also once I've left through the doors and they've taken my money, they've never contacted me again. Well, with my graduates, we're always in contact. We have a secret WhatsApp group. I'm constantly, uh, uh, um, coaching them sometimes two years after their course, if they've got a big uh, presentation coming up, they love that. They love that level of service. It aligns with my values. I'm working with some great organizations now. And it's all because all of this is because I did some third quadrant thinking and then I tapped into my fourth quadrant by doing things that I never, ever thought I would do. And now I'm doing some incredible stuff. Just this morning, I've just had a discussion around running a three-day conference around STEM so science, technology, engineering, and maths, and you know, there's not enough kids coming into STEM. I don't know anything about STEM, but I know a lot about leadership. And so we're thinking about running a three-day conference under the Ignite Your Inner Potential banner, where we bring business and universities together, and they're all going to learn together. This is not about business teaching universities or universities teaching business. No, they're going to learn together. They're going to learn about leadership. 
They're going to learn about STEM. They're going to learn about problem solving in a STEM context. And we're going to put them under some pressure. And uh, we've already got one a major uh, sponsor already for it. It's going to be at the Millennium Point in Birmingham. And I'm so excited. I never thought this would happen, but this is fourth quadrant. This is what happens. So what I'm hearing in everything that you do is the strong sense of community. Uh, for you, it seems to for the, what, the way I see it from outside and from you know looking in at what you're doing, everything you do is bringing people together, yeah. sharing sharing the knowledge and sharing opportunities and seeing and showing people how to lead those who need leading and showing those who like to follow to how to follow. And I think that strength of community is just echo through everything you've done through from family to your police force to the work you're doing now. Absolutely. Community at any level is a funda fundamental uh, uh, aspect of our lives going forward, whether it's a community in terms of a team, whether it's a community in terms of a, 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 a geographic area, or whether it's a community in terms of uh, countries or global levels. If we create a sense of community, we create a sense of buying. People move together. So you know, the world is going through COVID-19. It's, it's an international, global challenge. And if you look at the leaders around the world and how individual leaders have shown up and stepped up and uh, either created a sense of community or not created a sense of community, you can actually see from the results how that is shaping up. So, I mean, I don't want to name any political leaders, uh, aside from one, I will name one for a positive reason. So uh, one of the most emotionally intelligent people, uh, political people on the planet at this moment is Jacinda Ahern from New Zealand, New Zealand Prime Minister. I've watched this lady very, very carefully. Um, you know, she's dealt with anything from um, a volcano eruption. She's dealt with a mass shooting. And the way she has dealt with every single thing has been so emotionally intelligent. It's been incredible. She knows what her community wants, her community being New Zealand. She knows what it wants. She knows what key messages they're looking for. And she steps up and she delivers. And when it came to COVID-19, she said, I'm taking a 20% pay, pay cut, as is everyone else, because I know that everyone else is struggling out there. So all our executive are going to take a 20% pay cut. I just thought, what a powerful message, because what she's done there very cleverly is she's personalized this. And, you know, Boris Johnson uh, has, I'm watching him very carefully because, you know, he's, he's, he was this bombastic kind of guy that quite divided the, the, the country at one point uh, through Brexit and all these other things. But then the moment he became ill, and the rhetoric and the language that is used since has been very powerfully emotional intelligence. And you can actually see when he has spoken that he genuinely means it. So I think anyone can go through a life-changing situation that, uh, that brings them back to their core values. I genuinely believe that these two people have a sense of what a community is. It means different things to them. But for me, community is all the people around me, whether it's on a macro level or it's on a micro level if we create a sense of community then then we are sort of halfway there already if we create in an organization a sense of community that organization is going to succeed if we create a sense of community in a country and and and, and drive some cohesion that that country is going to succeed so community is a fundamental value of mine it's a fundamental thing that i do in everything that i do and 
in in some respects, you you've got a great vision there, and you you were talking earlier. You introduced yourself as an introvert, but you're pushing yourself out into a space where you have to be very prominent and 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 front of stage because you know your message is so important. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, it's a one thing I would say to any introvert or extrovert out there. Uh, you know, I do a lot of work around behavioral profiling. Uh, and just because you are an introvert doesn't mean that you can't behave like an extrovert. You just need to put an extra energy into it for a limited period of time. And you'll probably be exhausted having done that, but you can do it. You can do it. Fourth quadrant again. And similarly for intra extroverts, just because you're an extrovert doesn't mean that you can't have quiet time and introspect. You can slow yourself down. You can do that detailed work that you don't like doing. You can do be the empath that you perhaps sometimes struggle with. You can do it. It just takes effort, fourth quadrant thinking. And so each one of us can do this. But what is it that drives us? It's passion. What, 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 what drives us to actually do these things and step outside of our comfort zone? It's a desire to, to make something happen. So if your desire is strong enough, then the will comes as a consequence. And I think that's such a beautiful message to have there. And it's something that obviously I'm very passionate about. I mean, that's the whole point of this podcast is to be in line with your purpose, to live in line with your purpose. One thing a lot of people say to me is, I don't know what my why is. Have you always known what your why is or has it just evolved over time? I, you know, if somebody had said to me 20 years ago, what's your why? I could not have told them. I genuinely could not have told them. But I will say this, that now I know what my why is. I know my why has always been there and it's always been the same. It's been this sense of community. That's been my why, that I genuinely want to change the world. And, you know, whether the world is the people immediately around me or the people on the other side of the globe. You know, I have this strap line that goes around in my head that I want to change the world through the transformation of how people think. And that sort of drives me every single day. But I think you've summed it up in this beautiful word community, which is an incredible world. Uh, word. For everybody else out there, I would say this, that you need to dig down deep inside of yourself. You can't do this while you're working, while you're driving. You know, a lot of people say, I, get, I, th I do thinking time in, when I drive. No, you're doing other things. You're actually focusing on the road, or so you should be. Make time. Make time to do this work because this is important work. Do the inner work. Find out all those things, uh, all the decisions that you've ever made in your life. Understand what drove you to make those particular decisions. If you analyze them carefully enough, you'll find that there's a, there's a common denominator that rides across all of those decisions. And that is probably your sense of purpose. That's probably your why. And then you just need to unpack that so you can actually solidify that and clarify that in your own mindset as to what that is. You know, uh, rather than the sense of what it is, have a clear idea of what it is. But when you know your purpose, when you know your why, it is like, it is like um, putting a rocket in your backside. It, literally gets you to do things that you never thought you would do. You get so, you become like an action figure. You just get out there and do it because you're now driven. And, and it, it fuels you with passion. And I always say that, you know, there are two kinds of people when it comes to challenge. You either are that person that gives up and goes home, or you are that person that circumvents, that overcomes or smashes through that challenge. But what is it that, that separates the two? It's the amount of passion that you have when you know your passion, when you know your purpose and the passion comes with it, there is nothing in the world that can stop you or no one.
I totally agree. And, and just seeing people doing that, I mean, seeing the people that I coach and seeing the people that I've had the privilege of, of spending time with. And one of them is one of your tutees, which is Chanel and mm. seeing her transformation has just been the most wonderful experience to see how she is just absolutely smashing it because I don't know many people in their young twenties who are so determined yeah. because they've got a mission. And I know that you've been quite instrumental in, in helping her with that. Yeah, Chanel uh, is just a beautiful, beautiful angel on this earth. You know, the first time I met her and my wife, I, I think I was speaking somewhere and Chanel was also speaking. I remember, uh, you know, Chanel spoke and I just whispered to my wife, we need to work with it. We need to do some work with this girl because I... This is a young person who has got so much passion and so much clarity about who she is and where she's going. And um, and so, you know, she came on our public speaker course and we, we coached her. We've actually uh, sort of adopted Chanel as uh, our, our daughter. We just love her. We just love <laughs> her so much. She's just an incredible human being. And uh, I am look, watching carefully what Chanel does, but to see her grow from our course and to see how she's grown and how quickly she's grown and to the depth and heights that she's grown is just incredible. But this is what can happen. And Chanel would be one of the first people to say, I'm not special. And I always say this, I'm not special. I just did it. That's all. I just did it. So, you know, I have a phrase up here that says, do it now. The worst, worst disease that we can ever have is procrastination. And if you give yourself into procrastination, you will suffer the contagion of inaction. And you'll eventually end up with the illness of regret. And so just grab hold of something and do it and just do it now. Don't stop. Don't wait for tomorrow. Tomorrow never, ever comes. Well, I normally ask people to leave a message at the end of the podcast, but I think you feel, I feel like we've had one after the other after the other throughout the whole session. It's been incredible. People would love to get in contact with you, I'm sure, Carl. So tell, tell me or tell them how they can get in touch with you. Well, listen, you can, you can um, find me very, very easily. We have a website called uh, com. That's K-U-L-M-A-H-A-Y.com. I'm so excited to say that in about a few weeks' time, I'll be launching my igniteyourinnerpotential.com website as well. So watch out for that. That's coming very soon. We have a free app with lots and lots of resources on there. There's like something like 74 hypnosis on there, 34 video courses, all free. It has a social media element, all positive. I don't allow any negative. That, that's available on Apple and Google apps. And that's called Ignite Your Inner Potential. And of course, I'm on LinkedIn as Cool Mahay. Facebook as Cool Mahay. We have a beautiful Facebook community uh, group called uh, Ignite Your Inner Potential. Fantastic. So I will put all of those details in the show notes so that people can catch those if they if they are driving or walking the dog or whatever they're doing when they're listening to this podcast. Uh, but I am going to ask you if you could just leave us one message before you go. Thank you so much for your time. But one more special message to the people, please. Well, uh, I, I guess my message is that um, you literally are, without sounding cheesy, you're never too young and you're never too old. I have been born several times over in this lifetime. I have uh, rebirthed. I have set new agendas, explored new opportunities, 
dared new dreams at different stages of my life from the age of 10 through to the age of 53, which is where I am right now. I am still exploring new opportunities. I am still chasing dreams. Never, ever stop chasing your dreams and never, ever kid yourself that you're either too old or too young. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star iTunes review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook and become a member of the inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.